This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I'm a pastor and teacher here at House on the Rock. To our guests, I'm guessing many of you are here to uh, see your kids sing at the end of the gathering. Our VBS kids are going to come up and sing, so uh, I will try not to put you asleep. If it gets bad, you can always do your Walmart list um, and get those, check- those boxes checked. Jason Aldean, how about that this week? That was kind of exciting. You know, in the news, this whole story, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are really excited. What's he going to do? He is so going to get himself in trouble. Jason, so Jason Aldean, country music artist, big controversy. Uh, let me just hit the broad strokes just enough. May 19th came out with a song, Try That in a Small Town. And the essence of the song being, hey, there's a way we do things in the community, a small town. We care for each other. We know what's going on. The lyrics of it, basically, hey, go ahead. Go ahead. Try and spit in a cop's face. Go ahead. Burn a flag. Try that in a small town and see if you get away with it. Talking about the small town community, the nature, the essence of. Even has this beautiful testimony towards the end of the song of a farmer talking about community support that he received. It has turned into a firestorm by a lot of people on both sides, both turning it into a political weapon. Well, that song is a lynching song that promotes gun violence. And some people are like, no, it doesn't. It promotes this. It promotes that. The essence of the song, you know, even the artist who wrote it says, hey, this is the essence. This is what this song is about. I grew up in a small town. Have you grew up in a small town? I grew up in a small town. I know it's like being in a small town. The feel of, the nature of small town. Part of the challenge might be, and what's highlighted by those who don't like the song, is that he filmed it in front of a courthouse in Tennessee where a young man was lynched in 1921. He was hauled out by a mob and lynched uh, surrounding accusations of his conduct with a 16-year-old girl. And so they're citing it as a lynching song. No matter how you feel about it, the song in essence and the situation in essence speaks to the human essence. The human nature. Similar with issue one. I'm hitting them all today. My mom's here. I have to see what I can pull off this morning. Some of you have signs in your, in your front yard. Vote no for issue one. Some of you have signs. Vote yes for issue one. I've communicated with some of you that I know where you stand politically just because I wanted to get a feel for everything that's out there. Because someone came and said, Pastor, you need to address this. Pastor, you need to speak on this. Pastor, this. And then they were going to tell me what I needed to say. (laughs) Believe it or not, that does happen. More than one person is, is. I'm like, well, the question 
on the table, whether you're for it or you're against it. And some of you right now are flabbergasted that I won't say one thing or the other. Is what is the essence of the Constitution? What is the essence of human nature? Is our government a representative government? Is it a majority rule government? Oh, it's not that complicated. Oh, I assure you, it is always that complicated. What is the human capable of? What is the purpose of government? Yeah, the nature of things. What is human's nature? What is the part that government plays in that? What is God's intention and purpose? Now, yes, if you want to sit down and have a conversation, take me out for coffee and a donut. You have the donut, I'll drink the coffee, and we can talk about these things. But you do understand what I'm talking about when I talk about the nature of things, the essence, the, that which is essential to something's being, that you cannot remove it. You can't just set aside a human's nature. Can't do that. Animal, you respect in the animal world, right? I mean, you understand the nature of animals. How many of you would like to be caged in with a black rhino? I mean, rhinos that do things like this. You know, go ahead. Yeah, they just, yeah, they tip over cars. Incredibly aggressive, incredibly unpredictable, incredibly territorial, incredibly dangerous. Always on the top watch list of dangerous animals. Like if you're watching a TV show, the top 10 most dangerous animals, black rhinos normally out. How many of you want to be caged with a black rhino? No? Really? You understand its nature. Well, what if you had to be caged with this? Everyone always does that. Yeah. It's a pretty little bunny. Look at the bunny. For the most part, if I took you and stuck you in a cage with a bunny, unless you have like Monty Python issues, you're not going to have, some of you will get that joke later. Some of you, most of you do like, yeah, I don't have a problem being with a bunny. Why? Different. You, you respect and understand the nature. I don't know. Maybe there are accounts of very dangerous, unpredictable, aggressive bunnies out there. Maybe, I mean, there's probably like 4-H nightmares that get swapped around. Like, yeah, I got a bunny and it attacked grandma and went for her throat. Like, I just, but I doubt it. I doubt it. If you had to pick between, hey, do you want to be caged with the black rhino or caged with the bunny? Who's going to pick the bunny? Sure. Why? You understand its nature. To relate, you have to respect. To relate... You have to respect. If you're going to relate to a rhino, whatever capacity that might be, you have to respect its nature and its essence. The reason I bring all of this up and just drop political grenade after political grenade out there is because God has a nature. 
He has an essence. And if you want to relate to him, you need to learn how to respect that nature. When C.S. Lewis was writing his amazing Narnia tales, the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you're introduced to Aslan. Aslan, who is the embodiment of Christ. Aslan is this magnificent lion who is the king of Narnia. And for C.S. Lewis, it only naturally makes sense that if you're going to embody Christ, well, why wouldn't it be a lion? That is Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I mean, it's even a biblical idea, right? It's a biblical idea. But there's this moment in the tale where one of the, the, the four main characters, Susan, who has been transported into this land, is having a character, one of, one of the, the Narnia folk, and says, oh, I've never met a lion before. Is he safe? And the character says, he's a lion. He's not safe, but he is good. He is good. Are you telling me that God is not safe? C.S. Lewis, Pastor Paul, are you telling me that there's an aspect of God that is not safe for me? That if I don't learn how to respect that nature, I will have a hard time relating with God 100%. It's very possible. The struggles that you experience in your faith, in your life. Maybe you're trying to treat a black rhino like it's a bunny rabbit. God is good. He's not safe. When Moses sees this burning bush up on the hillside and he's in wonderment, he wants to go see this divine thing. He wants to go engage with this thing. He goes up there and God has embodied himself in this burning bush and he wants to get near to it. What does God say? You need to stop. God just doesn't say, oh, Mo, come on up, buddy. I've been waiting for you. Mo, let's hang out. Mo, let's chat. Mo, let's talk. No, God stops Moses and says, you need to stop. This is holy ground. If you're going to get closer, then you need to engage a certain way. No different than when God cries out and says, you know what? When Moses cries out to God, you know what? I would love to, uh, you know, see your face. We talk all the time. We have these conversations. I've got up and down the mountain all these times. Be great if I could actually see you and face to face. And God says, not a chance. You need to respect the fact that Moses, that my nature, my very nature would consume you on the spot. You as a finite being cannot engage. I'll tell you what I'll do, Mo. I'm going to press you into the cliff of this, the, the, this, this corner of this cliff here. I'll press you into it. Because you can't see me. But as I walk by, I will let you look upon the glory that rolls off my back. But you cannot look upon me. And you're like, what? You can't look at the sun. What makes you think that you could just look at 
the glorious radiance of God unfiltered. If you are going to relate to God, you must learn how to respect his nature. So today and next Sunday and the following Sunday, we're going to look at three aspects of God's nature, his essential essence. The first one, his spirit. God is spirit and what that means. And your brain might be like, yeah, still confused. Well, it's kind of the nature of what we're talking about. And then next week, we're going to talk about light. God is light. What does that mean? Especially from a moral perspective that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. To respect that. And then finally, that God is love. We like that one. We like the love one. I like that God is love. But what will often happen is I will chase after that God is love while trying to forget or maneuver and manipulate that God is spirit and God is light. It's not one or the other. It's all of the above. Should we do this? We ready to do this? Ready to dive in? Okay, if you're watching online or you're with me, you want to take out a Bible. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 24. I might bring up some other verses that you want to write down in your notes. Uh, might be helpful just for later study. I might say some things that you want to remember. I might say some things that you want to forget. Um, put, them, put them all down. John chapter 4. It simply says this. Jesus is having a conversation. And we'll get back to the story uh, a little bit later. But John 4 verse 24 simply says this. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. All right. What does that mean? That means... That God is not bound by space. God is not bound by time. Okay? So let's get a little metaphysical here. Imagine, if you will, that I have a giant fish tank here on the communion table. A nice big one. There's nothing else in it. There's no scuba man. There's no rocks. There's no bubblies. There's no fish. It's just one big fish tank. And I fill it full of water. And within that water, I suspend one piece of yarn. Just imagine, if you will, you know... Matt, what color should it be? No, the yarn. Oh, that's all right. Matt wants it to be red. Matt wants it to be red. Red string suspended in the big old fish tank of water. Can you see it? Okay, that string, that yarn, that red thread is humanity. Existing and moving in space and time. Okay? Past, present, future. All of it, that thread. You are somewhere on that thread of human space and time. You with me so far? God would be the water that that thread is suspended in. Meaning God at every point and any point sees and knows the beginning, the middle, and the end, but at no time is bound to it. 
God sees yesterday and today and tomorrow. In the same way that that water interacts and receives all that is time, all that is space. Now, will God interact in space? Will God do that? Do you see those stories in the Bible where God draws near and makes himself known physically? Sure. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, but God is not bound by time. God is not bound by space. He's outside of that. He's beyond it. But he has access to all of it. So how do I interact with this God that is spirit when I am so finite in my understanding and my scope? The Bible gives us metaphors. It's really the only way that you can grasp this infinite being that is spirit. A way of grasping, the, ways, the same way that C.S. Lewis says, yeah, Jesus is like a lion. Yeah, time is like a thread. The word spirit can be translated a couple other ways in scripture. One is wind. The wind. The wind's invisible, isn't it? It's invisible. Can't see it. I can't see it, but I can tell when it's doing something. Right? That's God. He's invisible and he's uncontainable. You can't put the wind in a box and hope to control it, hope to maneuver it, hope to get what you want out of it. Don't we do that? Don't we so desperately try to put God in our box? Oh, I'll contain God. And this is what I think God is. And this is what I think God wants. And this is what I want of God. Right. And you can contain the wind. But not just invisible. Not just uncontainable. Oh, so very powerful. How many of you have been moved by the wind? And maybe not in a gentle, friendly way. Yeah. You've seen what wind is capable of. More than swaying the branches, more than pushing the leaf across the driveway, more than just tipping over the garbage can, which is always annoying. You've seen the wind knock over trees. You've seen the wind destroy a house. I remember a few years ago when the tornado touched down outside of Ludlow Falls and we had one of our church family members who has family out there. So the teens went out there. We went out there just to pick up sticks and garbage that had been laid waste throughout this farmer's field. And the reality of the awesome power in a moment, that house is there and that house is gone. The power of the wind, the power of God. Yeah, it's like the wind. The spirit of God hovering over the chaos waters in the beginning of Genesis, the creation story, waiting to act, waiting to do. Invisible, uncontainable, all-powerful. Yeah. To know that God is spirit is to think about the wind. And maybe now when you see the trees sway back and forth, be reminded 
God is working. God is moving beyond anything I could try to control. But not just wind. You could translate the word that way, but you could also translate it as breath. That spirit, like breath, that life-giving aspect of God. I mean, we talk about that, won't we? Sometimes we talk kind of flippantly or lightly when someone dies. Yep, they gave up the... Yep, yep. His spirit has left him. Sure. But to talk about this thing of God, this ever-permeating, life-giving source of. In John chapter 6, if you're in John chapter 4, okay, if you're in John chapter 4, John chapter 6, you just turn a page. John is really keen on helping us grasp these big elements. Most, most Bible authors don't do this. And that talking explicitly, hey, God is like this. Most of the time, they'll just show you what God does. And you need to engage the mystery. Much like if, if you were sitting with a zoologist, and in this cage you have a black rhino, and in this cage you have a bunny. He's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. Just watch and see what conclusions you come to. Watch the black rhino. Watch the bunny and see if you can't conclude something of its nature. And so you do. You watch the black rhino. You watch the bunny. The bunny just kind of does its thing. Black rhino crashes into stuff. And then the zoologist looks at you. All right, we're going to put you in a car. Which cage do you want to drive into? The one with the bunny or the one with the rhino? Yeah, I'm going to pick the bunny. Why? Because the zoologist told me, oh, this is the, this and this is the, no, 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 no. I've watched, I've seen what God does. This is how I need to interact with him. So in John chapter 6, verse 63, it's a big chapter. There's a lot of verses there. It is the Spirit, John 6, verse 63. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Spirit gives life. The Spirit of God gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It's no good. But what I want to do is I want to engage on the flesh level and I want God to engage me on the flesh level. I want God that makes me feel good and makes me feel warm and fuzzy. That's the God that I want. And I will chase after those gods that satisfy my fleshy physical needs that fit in my box. That's how I know when a worship service is a good worship service. You want to know how I know it's a good worship service? Because I felt good afterwards. I felt fuzzies all over myself. When Pastor Paul played that beautiful song, I felt so warm and fuzzy, I knew that God was in the room. Oh, I know that's good preaching. You know how I know he's a good preacher? Anointed by God's Spirit. You want to know how I know that he is present? I felt warm fuzzies when he talked. That's how I know that God was in the room. You're looking to understand and relate and evaluate the all-creative, all-powerful, 
God who is spirit. Physically? Physically? And so many a person is frustrated in their Christian walk because they didn't feel what they wanted to be feeling or were chasing after a feeling when God is fundamentally spirit. The flesh is no good. The, the reason I bring this up is because this is the question that the woman has back in, in, in John chapter 4. She talks to Jesus about worship. Should I worship on this mountain or should we worship in Jerusalem? Because I'm a Samaritan and in Samaria, we're told that we're supposed to worship over here on this mountain. Is this where I go to connect with God? Is this where I go to get close to God? Do I go to that mountain over there? Or you Jews say, I got to go down to the temple where you got all the fancy temple stuff and the fancy rituals and the fancy services and the big old things. Do I need to go there? Is that where I'll get close to God? And Jesus says, no. For God is spirit. And those who will worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. You don't have to go to that mountain. You don't have to go to that building. God is outside of, outside of space and time. All right, so how then do I relate? How then do I relate and respect who God is? Okay, that should be the question that you have. If I need to go into the cage with Yahweh, with the Lord, what does that mean for me? Number one, you need to be born of spirit. Like, what? You need to be born of spirit. There are various aspects of your being. You are a soul. You are, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Your soul is all that is you. One aspect of you as a soul is your body, okay? Hit it, slap it, touch it, okay? It hurts, it feels, it's achy. Right now mine is achy. I did a little bit too much, yeah. So it's achy, it's VBS week. <laughs> I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. Yeah, this is part of me, my body. It's how I engage, it's part of my my, my, my nature, my essence, is how I engage with the world around me. But another intended and designed aspect of me as a human is a capacity for spirit. The best place to see that and understand that is in the story of Adam and Eve at the creation. God is walking in relationship with Adam and Eve. And they are living in the life that is God. But he tells them, listen, don't eat from that tree. You've got a lot of trees here, okay? And they're really good, just don't eat that tree. You can eat from all of these trees, just not that tree. And so, what's the toddler do? This one? Yeah, that one. Don't eat from that one. Because the moment you eat from that tree, what will happen? You die. But then you keep reading the story and like watching NASCAR waiting for the crash. They eat it and then nothing happens. Like they didn't die. Nothing happened. They didn't die. Oh, they very much did. 
They did not die physically. They did die spiritually. That beautiful, precious, divine connection, that spirit connection with God was severed and broken because of disobedience and sin. And so when I come to God, when I come to Jesus and his gift upon the cross, when I recognize he came to reconcile, means restore me back to the Father, what he is doing and offering is a restoration of that spiritual connection. The Spirit of God then comes and dwells within me. The, the candle is relit, if you will. The house is turned back on again, if you will. That's why there's such a fundamental difference between someone who follows Jesus and someone who doesn't. You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. One has life dwelling and living inside of them. Are you born of spirit? Are you born of spirit? Have you asked Jesus to renew and transform and save you? Have you fallen on your knees to recognize your brokenness and your death? Have you let him breathe life into you again? How many of you remember that moment? And listen, this is interesting. This is interesting. This is the gift of God. How many of you experienced that moment? You remember that moment and you remember feeling different afterwards? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that neat? Yeah. Sometimes God will manifest in that way. You need to be born of spirit. So he says in John chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, he's talking to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Is Spirit. Are you born of Spirit today? And secondly, when it comes to engaging with God, that means engaging Him spiritually. Worship that is spiritual worship. Prayer that is spiritual prayer. Not bound by, in your estimation, time and place. We are we are thankful. We had so many teens, over a dozen teens, go to church camp a couple weeks ago. And they came back different. Some of them gave their life to Christ for the first time. Some of them feel called by God to pastoral ministry. Some of them felt, noticed God perceiving, perceiving God drawing them to a deeper space, deeper place in their walk. And this is what invariably happens because it happened when I went to church camp way back in the day. Oh, I want to go back to Tar Hollow because that's where I met God. I do not fault them for that. I do not fault them for that. It's so easy to believe that. I need to go back to that place because that's where God talked to me. If I could just get back there, oh, I can't believe I have to wait a whole nother year before I get to go back to church camp so I can hear from God again. Do not fault them. Adults, we do the exact same thing. But that's not good theology, is it? What's the truth? The same God that spoke to you on that mountain speaks to you in this seat, speaks to you at home, draws near whenever you decide to engage him, respecting that he is spirit. 
Now, let me challenge those of you who are guardians and parents of those teens who went and had that experience. Don't you be the fault that that flame went out. If you walk in inconsistent walk, if you live in disobedience, if you do not continually bring before them the presence of God, the word of God, the commands of God, that would put it on your head. Rather, teach them to pray now. Teach them to fan that gift of flame now. Engaging in worship, singing, prayer. Here's the beautiful thing about prayer. I was praying over you this morning and y'all were in bed. How many of you like that? Wasn't that cool? How many of you like, sweet, sweet. Pastor Paul, you were praying over me and it was effectual and I was snoozing. I was sleeping in my comfy bed. This is awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. You know why it works? God is spirit. God is spirit. That's why, Ryan, could you bring up Psalm 139 again? Let's, with, with what I've just said, let's look back, let's look back at, through these words again. We, we read this together. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Okay, let's talk about that. What does that mean? Heaven, heaven. That's where the pearly gates are and that's where the gold angels are and that's where we sing with the pretty guitars. Yeah, no, that's not what that means. Heaven, the highest, the highest space beyond what I can get to. Sheol, the place of the grave, the lowest that I could possibly imagine. From highest high to lowest low, God you find me. You see me. Keep going. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God, when I find myself thrown out upon the chaos of life, that's what the sea is when the waves are washing over me, when I feel like I'm drowning and the boat is filling up and it's rocking and I am out of control here. God, you see me there. How many of you know what it means to face the chaos of life and feel like you're being destroyed? Own it. Yeah, yeah. God says, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Even if I get it wrong, even if my theology is jacked up and I jump to the wrong conclusion and pray the wrong thing and believe the wrong thing, I might be wrong, but God, you are right there with me. Even if I think the dark is too dark for you to show up, still you are in my presence. Now next week, we'll talk a little bit more about what it means to know that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But for us today, this morning, to take tremendous peace and comfort that no matter what the sin was, the choice was, the past was, he sees me yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he's there. 
All I need to do is to cry out with my spirit. In Mark chapter 5, a woman is in a tremendous, I brought her up just recently, but the story applies equally. She's in a tremendous pit of hell, physically broken, financially destitute, weakened. Everyone has failed her. Everyone has failed her. And then she hears about Jesus and believes that if I just touch the hem of his garment, all I've got to do is just touch a thread on the robe. That'll be enough. That'll be enough. And Jesus is going through this town, this city, and it's like, it's like entourage, celebrity style, paparazzi, people pressing in, people gathering around him. People, just, they're, they're swamping him. Everyone wants to be close to the new rabbi. Everyone wants to get, get, get drawn near to, the, to this cool teacher because he does crazy stuff. They're pressing in on him from all sides. Everyone is reaching out to get a hold of Jesus. In the midst of all that, she is able to make her way through crowd, through this giant posse, and she reaches out and she does touch the hem of his garment and is healed. But in that moment, Jesus notices something. He says, someone touched me. And Pete, Andy, the rest of the disciples were like, uh... <laughs> Everyone's touching you. What do you mean like, they're, like, what do you mean one person? No, no, no. Someone touched me. I have sensed that power, life-giving spiritual power has gone out from me into someone. Someone has engaged me different than other people have been engaging me. Someone reached out in faith. Someone reached out believing. And so the woman says, it was me. It was me. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Isn't that interesting? A lot of people can be gathering for lots of reasons and it not be spiritually effective because they were not engaging spiritually. They can come to the table. They can sit in the pews. You can sing the songs. You can have the books. You can listen to Caleb. You can do all the churchy stuff and it not do anything. As you try to get God in your box of manipulation, if I just fill up the scales of Jesus stuff, then I can get from him what I want. No. In his essence, he is spirit. And so you must engage him spiritually a heart that is humble and seeking and learning. We call it house on the rock because you don't want to build on sand. Because what's the difference between sand and stone? What's the difference? The nature, the essence. Sand is not a firm foundation. You want your life to rest upon a firm foundation that is Jesus Christ, that is God. What have you been building on? Maybe yourself. 
Artists, would you come up? We're going to sing a little bit, engage and invite you to sing with us. I invite you to sing from this heart space, this, this genuine reaching out space. If, if you do not know what it means to be born of spirit, if you don't know what it means to humble yourself in the name of Jesus Christ, you cry out. We'll have a moment to pray in a little bit. To recognize your own brokenness. To feel I'm swallowed up by the storm. Next week, God is light. What does that mean? Week after that, God is love. What does that mean? But we're going we're gonna to start with a song that we introduced last week with the, the crew that came back from Tar Hollow. And you might not know the words, but you might be able to resonate with the message. A firm foundation. Solid rock is our Lord. Why don't we stand together? Whether you can sing the song or not, I just encourage you, let yourself be open to the Spirit of God who is here, who is drawing near. Let me ask God's blessing and then we'll sing. Father, you are here. Help us by the power of your spirit to open up with our spirit. Simple words, help me. And you are there. See me and you are there. Find me, and you are there. For so many today, remind us of what it means to stand upon the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. Thank you. You are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.